Okay, so in the beginning, God, God began with the family. And he, he created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And as, as we all know, they, they fell and they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. But before they, they were kicked out, God gave them the plan of salvation. And the whole idea was that through the unit of the family, the, the plan of salvation would be perpetuated till Jesus would come. And during that time, they, if you remember, Cain, he killed his, his brother Abel, and he began a separate line of families. And he began a separate line of, of individuals throughout history, a separate line of, of people that worked sometimes against God's plan. And over time, what happened is the, the, the sons of God and their families intermingled with the sons of the world. And they, they co-mingled, and over time, the, the, the family unit of the church got corrupted. And at that point, God had to completely take an eraser and erase the world and start over. And he did that with Noah's flood. Then he began with a nation model, and he started to try to work things out with a, with a nation. And he began with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and down the line. And so they began this... Uh, God began again with, with, with nations, but the problem with that was that, that as the nations grew, guess what? They wanted to be like the world, and they wanted to be like, like everybody else. And so they said, give us a king. And so Samuel talked to God, and God told him that he shouldn't be upset that they want a king. It wasn't because of Samuel, but he said, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. And so God gave them a king with warnings, with caveats, letting them know what would happen if they had a king. And so they, they, they started with one king, he ruled for 40 years, that was Saul, and then after that came David, and then Solomon, and down the line. But over time what happened is the, the nation model that God had, the idea that, that this would be a representative of God's work in, in the world, of, of what God is trying to do with, with human beings, got corrupted. And as, as, you go through, as you go through history and you, you take a look, what ended up happening is you have people starting to become insular. The nation just started to focus inward, and they lost their focus on God, and they began to either copy the things of the world, or they began to just be among themselves and lose contact with the world. The whole idea was that people would look at this nation, and they would see what God is doing with it, and they would inquire as to why God is blessing them, and then they would be taught of Israel. And over time, that failed, and they went into exile, then they came out of exile, and when they came out of exile, they, they began to live in Jerusalem and, and repopulate the Promised Land again. But the city of Jerusalem itself had some issues, and one of them was that the central area of location, the central, the central location for, for Jerusalem was unprotected. The walls were not complete. And year after year went by, and the walls were, were not getting built. And Nehemiah, he lived, as you, as you remember, Nehemiah lived back uh, with, with the king, and he found out that this was happening, and that God's work was being retarded. And so he wanted, to, he wanted to change that. And so he came, and he decided to invest himself into, into this work. And so he began by, he began by developing... A certain set of a 
certain set of principles. He began first by getting buy-in of the people. He went in, he surveyed the, 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 the whole area, he found out what was, what was going on, what, who the power uh, play, you know, the people were that, that were in power, and what they were doing, and he made a, a personal survey of the whole city. Then he began to formulate a plan in his mind of how he would build the walls. Then he presented himself with, with his uh, certificates and everything else from the king to the leaders of the city and he told them his plan of building the wall. He organized the people and then he built that wall. And what is interesting about that, about Nehemiah and what he did, is the speed with which he accomplished it. Do you know how many days it took to build the, the wall? 52 days. 52 days is what it took to build the wall. There's a there's a, a paper that was written in the Ministry magazine by Alexa Alexander Santrak, and he had some uh, ideas of, of, of Nehemiah, and he was talking about some of the principles that Nehemiah used. And one of them, and I'm just going to list them real quick, but Nehemiah had a vision. He saw what needed to be done, and he decided that he was going to do it. He wasn't boastful. He wasn't proud. He wasn't trying to force himself on people. He had a motivation for the task. A lot of times people lack the motivation to do something, but he had a motivation of the task to accomplish. Nehemiah ex exhibited extraordinary faith. To do something that, someone that no one had ever done before, to accomplish something that had, that had not been done in years, takes faith. And so as Nehemiah was thinking about building this wall again so that God's work could go forward, he had to exhibit faith. And here's the thing about changing your church or making a difference in your church. You can't do it alone. If you think that you're going to be able to do it by yourself, you're sadly mistaken. You have to have faith. God has to work with you to get this accomplished. Another point was that, that he was persistent. He never quit. No matter what came before him, no matter what the problems were, he did not quit. He did not, he did not get tired. He did not get frustrated. He continued on. It was a steady march towards getting the work done. Yeah, he did get tired, but he didn't get frustrated, right? Okay. And what I mean by getting tired is, yes, you can get tired in God's work. He didn't yes, he didn't get, give up. But you don't want to lead, it, lead that to burnout. You don't want to get so tired that you just finally can't do anything more. We're talking about Nehemiah and, the, and, the, and how he built the, the wall. Going on, he valued God's word above everything else. He got a lot of advice, unsolicited advice. But the thing about Nehemiah was what distinguished him from other people was his ability to focus on God's Word and make sure that he acted upon the precepts of God's Word. Now here's the hard part. There are some things that, that, that we see in our churches today that are not according to God's Word. And we face a choice. We can either look at God's Word and we can ignore those principles, or we can say, no, this is what God is saying, and this is what we need to do. And we're going to be looking at those later on. Another part, uh, another thing about Nehemiah was that he delegated responsibility. He allowed other people to accomplish things. He didn't do it himself. If Nehemiah were to take one stone after another and build a wall himself, he wouldn't have accomplished it. But he delegated responsibility. He also adapted to circumstances. Circumstances change. If you begin with one strategy and over time circumstances change, God wants you to have the ability, He's given you the ability to think and to reason and be able to change your strategy. 
He began with, with building the wall, and then they, they faced a security threat. And so what he had to do is have the workers so that half of them were washing the walls, and half of them were building the city, the, were building the walls. You understand what I'm saying? And so he had the, the, the power to adapt. A lot of times in our churches today, when we, when we begin to, to start a ministry or we begin to do something, we sometimes have this issue where we can't adapt. We can't change the circumstances. And as a result, our ministries are irrelevant or they, they are, are un, they're unable to, to make the changes necessary to continue to bless less people. So let's, let's continue here. The last point I want to make about Nehemiah is that he made some hard changes. One of the biggest changes was that he closed the gates of the city on Sabbath so that commerce wouldn't take place on the Sabbath. And yes, if, if the, the city faced a loss of money. Yes, there were people who were frustrated because their goods were outside the city and whatnot. But he chose to make those hard decisions so that God could bless, ultimately, that city. And what's interesting about that, that entire story is that the changes that he instituted, the reforms that he instituted, allowed that city, all the people together, working together, to build that wall in 52 days. Do something that people had never done before, and they accomplished the work in a short amount of time. Another thing about God's work is that it should bring people together, not drive people apart. God's work, when you work for God, it brings you together. If you work for Satan, it drives people apart. Going on, the purpose of God's church. What is God's church, and what, is, what, what does God want for His church? If you look at Acts of the Apostles, the very first paragraph in Acts of the Apostles, page 9, it says, The church is God's appointed agency for salvation of men. It is organized for service, and its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. From the beginning, it has been God's plan that through His church shall be reflected to the world His fullness and His sufficiency. The members of the church, those whom He has called out of the darkness into His marvelous light, are to show forth His glory. The church is the repository of the riches of the, graces, of the grace of Christ, and through the church will eventually be manifest even to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, the final and full display of the love of God. That is the purpose of the church. And notice the part that the members, us, that we play in this part. God has decided that the agency of salvation is the local church. Another point that Mrs. White makes uh, a few chapters down is at the conversion of Saul. If you remember, when Saul was converted, he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And instead of hearing from Jesus what his mission was, because Jesus could have easily told him, hey, you're going to go and you're going to witness to the Gentiles and you're going to be my champion to all these Gentiles. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. Instead, what he did is, she says that he sent him to learn of his mission from the church. And what's interesting about that, one of the best stories in the Bible is that, that story of where Ananias heard about Saul, this persecutor, and how he was inquiring about Jesus, and how he's praying. And so he went, he, he, he argued a little bit with God, but then he went by faith, and he placed his hands on, on Saul's eyes, and he said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And that was an incredible risk that he took, because Paul could have received his sight and put his hands around his neck and said, you're under arrest. And a lot of times in ministry, you have to be able 
to take that risk. Ministry is a risk. It's a personal risk that you take. If you, if you want to know what a risk is like, think of the guys that jump out of helicopters to save people in the ocean. They take a risk. The risk is that they may not get back into the helicopter again, but they take that risk to save a soul. And if you want to work with God, you're going to take a risk. Jesus, when he came to this earth, he took that risk. And the risk was that he could eternally lose heaven. But he would rather have lost heaven than take the chance of you not being there. There are three types of revival in our church, the, the way that the, the vehicles of revival, so to speak. The first one is individual. And this is something that is just basic. You have to do this. No one can do this for you. That is Bible study and prayer. Personal Bible study and prayer is something that you have to do by yourself. Worldwide or denomination-wide, we have satellite programs, 07 Revive or 09 Revive or different types of revival programs that we do on satellite on 3ABN and other places are um, another vehicle of, of revival. The next is conference-based, just like this, having a conference where people come for a short amount of time, they hear speakers, and they go back to their churches. They're able to ask questions of speakers, they're able to interact with people, get some ideas, and go back to churches. Now, there's, there's positives for each one of these, and there's also drawbacks to each one of these. The drawbacks are, in the personal part, is that it is just you. And yes, there's no limit to what God can do through one person, but at the same time, it's just you. And a lot of times what happens with people is that they... They, they want to do something, but they don't know how to work with people. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. The drawbacks to a satellite evangelism is that we put, we put so much money into evangelism, into, into hosting a satellite and that type of thing. But it fails when people don't bring their friends to that meeting to see Mark Finley on TV. You understand what I'm saying? How many times have you gone to a church, to your church, and there's a, there's a revival series going on, or there's Net, nine, you know, Net 98 with Dwight Nelson, or something like that, and the church is half empty. The members aren't even there. It's reality. It's reality. And that is the problem. That is, that is the drawback to satellite evangelism. The last is conference-based uh, revivals. Uh, I've been blessed personally by attending different conferences. I've been to ASI. This is my second time here. I've been blessed every single time I've gone to a conference, GYC, or things put on by the NAD, or whatever. The drawbacks to those conferences is that you can, you can live from conference to conference, and there are people who do this. You go to a conference, and you get this high, and then you get a low, and then you go to the next conference, and you get a high, and then you get a low, and you just keep going on, and you're just like on a roller coaster experience. And the, and the drawbacks to that is that you can go to a conference, and you can hear all these wonderful things, all these wonderful ideas, and you go home, and reality hits you, and then you forget all about that. I'll ask you a question now to, to demonstrate my point, and that is, how many of you were at ASI th three years ago? Two years ago, all right? How many of you remember a seminar from three years ago? Can you think of a seminar? Can you think of some ideas? It's tough, isn't it? It's really tough. And what happens is, in, in this type of thing, is you, uh, it's, like, it's like being on a football field, and you're, you know how football players, they get into a huddle, right? And before they, as they get into a huddle, they're hearing what the coach is saying and what the quarterback is saying. And they get out, they snap out of the huddle, and they go to the line, and they get ready to, to, to make their plays. But with the conference, when the conference doesn't work right, in the, in the experience of, of the believer or the attendee, what happens is you're always going to the huddle, but you're never going to make the play. 
Because what happens is you go to the, the conference and you, you learn all these ideas, but you never execute them. And so it's always we're in this constant huddle, never making the play. And that's the tough part of the conference. There are some conditions that Jesus set for his return. And the condition is this. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. If you look at this, there's two conditions to that. Number one is that the gospel shall be preached in all the world. And so some of us, we think that to mean, okay, we have an Adventist presence in 230 countries, and so the gospel is going out. And yes, it is. We have 3ABN, and we have It Is Written, and we have Faith for Today, and all these other wonderful satellite programs, and the, and the, the world is being blanketed by the gospel, and the gospel is going to the world. Yes, it is. But the condition for Jesus to come back is that it has to be preached as a witness. What does that mean? Anybody? Personal, Personal witness. Okay. What does that mean? It means is that people have to see God working through you for the gospel to be preached to them. And the only way it's going to happen is when they see what God is doing through your life and they, they're able to make a decision then whether they want God to work in their life or they refuse it. Now, the, the, there are people that could think, well, there's six billion people. We're, almost, we're going to hit seven billion people in the world sometime in October. There's almost seven billion people in this world. In this world. And how can you get everyone to, get, to understand what Jesus wants to do for them? How do you do this? And the reality is that God wants, this is what, why God wants a local church to be the center for salvation. He wants a local church with members in it to make a difference in their community. The gospel went to the world once, at least once, and that was during the time of the apostles. They took the gospel to everybody in the world in their generation. They did it once. And God wants to do it again. The question is, are we willing? Some conditions from the, the spirit of prophecy. Christ is waiting with longing desire for manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of Christ is perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. What does that mean, perfectly reproduced in his people? Why does his character need to be perfectly reproduced in us? And the reason is that if you're going to be a perfect witness, if you're going to be the best witness possible, who best to emulate than Jesus Christ? And Jesus, his character needs to be perfectly reproduced in us for us to be that best witness. Going on, there are some people who talk about, well, God knows when Jesus is going to come, and there's no way that we can do anything for Jesus to come. God knows, and it's going to happen when he's ready. But here Mrs. White says, By giving the gospel to the world, it is in our power to hasten our Lord's return. We are not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of the day of the Lord. Had the church of Christ done her appointed work as the Lord ordained, the whole world would have before this been warned, and the Lord Jesus Christ would have come to our earth in power and great glory. This is, this is uh, Mrs. White through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, telling us that it is within our power to hasten Christ's coming, which means that you and I can see Jesus come in our time if we want to. The choice is ours. Going on, I'm just going to briefly list over here our current realities in the church. This is another... Uh, interesting article. I was, I was looking at the church data. H have you ever gone to GC Archives? 
taking a look at our church data, it is really good. And, I, and I, if, I had, if I had a few weeks where I was not working, I would have taken all that data and made it look really nice. Not just uh, graphs or whatever, but I could have made it look really, really nice in terms of you could see through the years how we, how we grow and, and where the money is going and that type of thing. It make, I could visualize it really well, but for whatever reason, I, I uh, wasn't able to do this. But these two guys, David Beckworth and Joseph Kidder, they, they did a, a study on, on the church's archives, and they, they, took a look at all, they took a look at all of the stuff that, that the church has produced in terms of money, membership, growth rates, retention rates, all that stuff, and they produced some, uh, some findings. Really interesting work is found in Ministry Magazine as well. And I'm just going to list these because they're, they're kinda, it's kind of long and it's really, it's really worth reading, but not, not right now. Okay, so church growth. Number one, the membership growth rate is less than the population growth rate. All right? So that means that as the United States population, we're talking about United States, Canada, and Bermuda, just the North American division now. If the population grows at its, the rate that it's growing, even if we add members to the church at the rate that we're adding them, we're still going to be less than, we're, we're still not going to be able to match the growth of the population. Which means that over time, our footprint in North America is going to get smaller, even though we add members. All right? So our growth rate is less than 2%. The next part is the ethnic composition of the church. When you look at the growth rate, we had 39,000 baptisms last year. Most of the new membership in the NAD mainly comes from African descent. So, and in, in, terms of, in terms of the diversity of the church, that's where our growth is coming from. So we're failing, or we're not succeeding, so to speak, in the Caucasian area, uh, the Caucasian descent, and in other races, we're not, we're not growing as, as much in terms of those people, okay? The graying of Adventism. The average age in the Adventist church is 51 years old. That's the median age. The average age of the U.S. population is 36. So for our members to relate to a younger population is getting harder and harder to do that as we, as we inch up in age. Just some statistics. All right. Now here's the one that's, that is not the greatest and probably the most damaging, and it's this one. Church membership and membership productivity. So from 1913 to 1980, it took about 15 members to produce one convert. From 1980 on, it's now taking 27 members to produce one convert. All right? Pastoral productivity is on the rise. And what that means is that the, the ratio of pastors to, uh, to baptisms is on the rise, and that's a good thing. Uh, one thing that I really liked as I was looking through this is literature evangelism. Literature evangelists produce their, their work directly that they can trace, that the church can trace, directly produce 59,000 baptisms worldwide. Amen to that. I did, I did literature evangelism for three years in Pakistan, of all places. And uh, it's nice to know that, that it's hard work. If you've ever done it, it is really hard work. But it's nice to know that it produces baptisms. All right, so this is where we are. This is where we are in the church, and it is something that, that we, should, we should realize and we should uh, uh, work, work on. So what does a revived church look like? We talk about revival and reformation, and, and from the GC last year, we've gotten this mandate to uh, focus on revival and reformation. I think it's a good thing. 
But what does a revived local church look like? Number one, there will be emphasis on revival and evangelism. Now, there are some people in churches that believe, all right, we're going to focus on revival for the next six months, and then we're going to do evangelism for the next six, nine months, and then so on and so forth. But through this presentation, I will show you that revival is directly proportional to evangelism and why that's so. They'll have trained leadership, which means that the pastor is already trained. He's trained from Andrews, but the membership will be trained as well. And we'll talk a little bit about what that trained leadership means, what it means to be trained. Sustainable ministries. How many of you have served in the church in the same position year after year after year? Because no one else will take that position. All right? That is not sustainable. The 80-20 rule where 20% do 80% of the work is not sustainable. Ultimately, over time, your church is going to fail because you have failed to train other people to take your place. There isn't a regular cycle of leadership. And that is unsustainable. Believe me, I have done that. I have worked really, really hard in churches. I've served in, in positions, in, in various positions. And over time, what I've realized is when I, it, when I leave those, those church positions, what happens is I have not trained someone to take my place. And as a result, if the person that comes after me, they're not able to do as good a job or whatever it happens, or they, they fail or whatever, and it's a reflection on me because I didn't mentor somebody. So if you're currently in a church position, in church leadership, make sure that you're mentoring at least three people so that one of those, one of those people will be able to take your place and move the work into greater levels of success than you ever did. Sustainable ministries. Empowered members. Members who feel like they can do something. There's a lot of members in the Seventh-day Adventist Church who just don't feel like they can do anything. They just don't, they feel powerless. The only thing they can do is they can take the five bucks and put it into the offering, and that's about all that they, they feel that they can do. But a revived church will have empowered members. An active Sabbath school. Sabbath school is not a warm-up for the sermon. And a lot of people treat it that way. But Sabbath school is not a warm-up for a sermon. And there's so many things that you can do with, with Sabbath school. Carlos and I have been involved in Avonhope Sabbath School. I believe that it is one of the most active Sabbath schools in the North American division. We started with 20 members in 2002, and currently we have about 350 members. Our ministries span the globe, and our international impact is huge because God is blessing us because we have decided to invest in making sure that our Sabbath school is successful. Your local church will be an asset to the conference, which means that a revived church will have a good relationship with the conference. There are some churches that have a toxic relationship with the conference, and that, is, that doesn't, neither helps the conference nor the church to have that kind of relationship. Convicting sermons will be preached at a, reviving, at a, at a church. The sermon quality Will, will determine the quality of the membership. Members will learn to reason and think for themselves. And the last one is that Christ's method will be used. How many of you are familiar with Christ's method? All right. Christ, what he did was he would interest himself in the affairs of people, and he would win their confidence, and when he had win, won their confidence and he had won their support, then he would say, follow me. But what's interesting about Christ's method is that the, the other part that we don't focus on, and that is that when people came to Jesus... They left changed. Men took note that his disciples had been with him. Men took note that they had been with Jesus. When people come to your church, day after day, year after year, 
Sabbath after Sabbath, do they leave changed? Can you see a discernible difference from one year to the next to the next? And if you cannot, then you need to ask yourself, are you fully implementing Christ's method? And here's the heart of evangelism. Evangelism will fail every single time unless the person themselves has been changed. If I made a difference in your life or you made a difference in my life and it was so huge, I would be able to then, I would be motivated to tell someone else when I saw them in the same condition. It's like a blind person being healed by Jesus and then seeing another blind person on the street and saying, hey, I used to be just like you, but I met Jesus and now I see. In our churches today, if you're using Christ's method, there needs to be a, you will see a discernible difference between uh, where people were and where they are now. There are some conditions for Christ's coming. In Testimonies, Volume 9, Mrs. White writes, and this is, this is what we base Total Church on. It says, The work of God in this earth can never be finished until the men and women comprising of our church membership rally to the work and unite their efforts with those of ministers and church officers. Rallying to the work with ministers and church officers. It's not the pastor's job alone. It's not the conference president's job alone to accomplish the work. It has to be us as well. Gospel Workers, page 193 says, Your success will not depend so much upon your knowledge and accomplishments as upon your ability to find a way to the heart. When people say, when you ask people to, to witness or you ask people to share or do a Bible study, what is the common thing that you hear? I don't know enough. I don't know how to do it. And, and we go to con so many seminars over and over again, learning how to study the Bible, learning how to witness, learning how to do this, but we never quite do it. And the reason is because there's one skill that isn't being taught, and it cannot be taught in a, in a seminar session, and that is how to find a way to somebody's heart. The little maid, she knew how to find a way to her mistress's heart. The demoniac who came to Jesus and he left after, he wanted to follow Jesus and become his disciple and Jesus said, no, go back and tell them what I have done for you. He found a way into people's hearts. And when Jesus came back, there was thousands of people that were ready to receive him. Finding a way to people's heart cannot be taught in a seminar because it has to be done in action. And it's done on a case-by-case -case basis. You have to go and you have to talk to people and you have to find ways to touch them, to make a difference in their life. And you can't do that in a seminar. You can't do that in a schoolroom. The reason why the disciples were so successful is because they learned from Jesus day after day as they watched him interact with people. To train a physician, what, they do, what you do is you go to four years of medical school and then you do four, five, six years, eight years of residency. And during that residency, what are you doing? Sitting in more classes? No. Working with patients. The best way to become a doctor is to work with patients. And yes, you're going to make mistakes. And yes, you're going to get shouted at and whatever else. But the way you, you become a good doctor is by working with patients. Little kids, when they, when they uh, begin to walk, do they begin to walk on the very first try? They, they, they fall, they, they get up, and they keep falling, and they keep getting up. But they keep getting up till they finally gain, they learn the balance. They train their brain 
to, to balance themselves so that they can hold themselves upright and continue walking. Christianity is a practice. It differentiates itself from every other religion in that regard. So what do we do in our church? How do we preach? And there's a lot of people today that say we've got to preach different sermons. We've got to preach sermons that touch people. And yes, I agree. But here's a counsel from Mrs. White, and she says, The Lord desires His servants today to preach the old gospel doctrine, sorrow for sin, repentance, and confession. We want old-fashioned sermons, old-fashioned customs, old-fashioned fathers and mothers in Israel. The sinner must be labored for, perseveringly, earnestly, wisely, until he shall see that he is a transgressor of God's law, and shall exercise repentance towards God and faith towards Jesus Christ. Old sermons, old gospels. The paragraph before that, she traces through history, she talks about how Jesus, the very first thing that he, that, that he said when he began his ministry was repent. John the Baptist in the wilderness, what, he, what did he say? What was his sermon? Repentance. Uh, the disciples, when they began their, their sermon, what did Peter say? There's no name under heaven by which he may be saved. Repent. There's a story that Mrs. White wrote about. She talked about this this guy that was stuck in the snow, and he was dying because he was in this blizzard, and he couldn't find the energy to get up. But he realized, as he was lying there and he was dying, he realized that there was someone next to him, and he looked over, and he saw that that person was in worse condition than he was. And he felt pity for that person, and so he just mustered up his energy. He got the guy up, and he started to walk him uh, through the blizzard to, uh, to safety, and they made it to safety. And she says that when he made it to safety, and he was able to relax, he realized that in saving the other person, he saved himself. And so she says this, she says, these lessons must be forced upon young believers continually, not only by precept, but by example, that in, the, that in their Christian experience, they may realize similar results. In saving others, you save yourself. So we come to my equation here. And that is that revival is directly proportional to evangelism. And evangelism is directly proportional to revival. If you do, if you do evangelism, if you're out there knocking on doors and you're talking to people and you're opening the Bible and you're studying with them, you're continually reinforcing in your mind the truths that we believe in. And as you pray and you ask God to find that way to the heart, you're in connection with the Holy Spirit every time you are giving a Bible study. And as a result, those truths start to have an effect on your mind and on your life, and it begins to change you. Those texts come back to you later on in the day or um, while you're working or whatever, and you're able to be blessed by the Bible study that you gave. Another thing is that when you're giving a Bible study to somebody, you look forward to that Bible study. You have to prepare. You have to open your Bible, and you've got to study. And as a result, you are reformed on the inside. You're changed into Christ's image. Revival cannot be done in exclusion of evangelism. And neither can evangelism be done in exclusion of revival. For our case studies uh, today, you, you, you're going to get a bonus. I've asked my friend, Dr. Carlos Moretta, to uh, walk us through some case studies and talk about uh, different things that, that we've done in, in ministry together with uh, various organizations. We've been uh, blessed to be a part of uh, many good teams of uh, young people. And uh, so we'll, we'll just... Uh, uh, give him the, the time. While we're swapping over here, why don't you all stand up? Stand up, take a deep breath, fill up your lungs with some O2. I don't want you falling asleep. It's good to see some of uh, some of my friends here, Dr. Fleck, um, some 
friends from Southern California, from Advent Hope, uh, who can identify with some of these things. I just want to share with you, you can go ahead and uh, sit down. I was going to make you sing Father Abraham, but... Um, I'll try and be brief so that Adrian can bring this, this thing to a, to a, uh, a, a zenith, if you will. Um, my name is Carlos Moretta. I uh, am um, an oral and maxillofacial surgeon, um, trained in Loma Linda, and um, had just had a rich experience uh, in my walk, my Christian walk, uh, third generation Seventh-day Adventist, always lived my father's faith. Um, but. Uh, in the last 10 years, uh, I've experienced the, the revolution in, in my life that I think God was bringing me to. And I wanted to share things that made it, uh, that, that actually made it happen. Um, and, and in doing so, I want to share with you ministries, things that you can do in your church. Okay, things, it's not good enough to play. This is not a spectator sport anymore. Okay. Uh, my father, remember, I, I always had this discussion with my dad uh, where he says, you know, Carlos, there's places in the world that we're just never going to reach. And, and Sister White says that, that angels will have to reach those places. And I'm like, so that's what you're waiting for, Dad? You're, you're waiting for angels to, right now? Like, you're healthy. Like, why don't you come with me to Bangladesh? I mean, you could be that angel, right? Amen. And so we have that, that discussion. I love my dad. He's a good man. And uh, he did a good job. But I want to share with you uh, a couple ministries. Um, Adrian, you're going to advance uh, for me. Um, that, that we've been a part of that, that have, uh, have had a massive impact, not just in my life, but on the global scale. Advent Hope uh, is a Sabbath school ministry uh, of Loma Linda University Church. Uh, many of you may, may, have, may be familiar with, but even out of Advent Hope Sabbath School, Adrian was talking about having a Sabbath school that's active. And, and you know, not just as a, as a warm-up for, this, for, this, for the sermon. And so out of Advent Hope has spurred many ministries. You've had, we, we have Advent Hope uh, Orlando, or um, for, uh, Forest Orlando, uh, Advent Hope um, Kettering. And I believe there's a few others that have requested the model of our, of our Sabbath school so that they can, and out of, out of that Sabbath school, then we have Josiah's ministry, uh, which manages money for, for other ministries. We have Audioverse has come, and, and you, you know, I don't have to sell you the idea or, or show you the idea that, that Audioverse has had a global impact. Um, you know, uh, Tim Arakawa, a personal friend of ours, uh, and, and Curtis Farnham as well, uh, you know, born out of uh, Advent Hope Sabbath School leaders, you know, the wealth of technology, all this wealth of technology is at our fingertips. I can't even begin to understand it, but it's there and it's available to us. Um, you know, statistics of, of uh, just Audioverse alone uh, since its inception in 2005, I believe, is close to 4 million downloads from places that, that you know, you would just go, go ahead and look at some of the, some of the testimonials you can't even print because they're coming from parts of the world that if they knew, they, those individuals would be in trouble by their governments. But China, talking about the Middle East, uh, places where it's hard to go over there and set up an evangelism campaign and just go to it. Praise the Lord. I mean, I think, I think this is wonderful. You know, the 1040 window, downloads are coming from the 1040 window with regularity. And so these are just kids 
These are just kids with a vision that, that said, hey, why don't we use this technology to do something? Let's get these sermons, let's line them up, let's put them on, online and, and let people download them. Let me tell you how it impacted me uh, in 2004, approximately. Um, I, was, I was in residency and I was depressed. I put on 55 pounds because the breakfast burrito was my best friend. And so a lot of people deal with stress differently. I eat. And so that's what I was going through. And I can't tell you because I couldn't go to church. I was always rounding. I was always seeing patients covering three hospitals for trauma. Uh, it was miserable. And so Audioverse was there like as, as a beacon for me, an opportunity to actually listen to God's word and, and, to, and to grow spiritually. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that has ever grown anyone, uh, the church, um, it's always been the Word of God, amen? It's the only thing that grows. It's not the, it's not the music, it's not the, it's not the, it's the Word of God. And that's, I think, what, what the, the Reformation would attest to. Um, I, I use it for long trips. Um, I use it to learn so that it's not my grand, my father's faith, it's my faith now because I, this is a workshop and I use Audioverse, this series that you can see on Audioverse, um, the series of, you know, whatever, whatever topic I'm interested in learning about, 1844, um, you know, the sanctuary, so on and so forth. Um, and I use it also to prepare me for Bible studies. Up until the age of 35, I had no idea that I could actually give a Bible study. And yet I'm a professed, Christian. But you know what? When I said I girded up my, myself to give a Bible study, I, it just came out of my mouth. Hey, you want to study the Bible together? I sat down with, with a couple students um, that were not SDA at Loma Linda University. They happened to be my students. And they were overlooking my shoulder and they were like, what are you, what are you reading? I said, it's a state of the dead thing. You don't want to read that. It's boring. And I was like, here you got students who are not Seventh-day Adventists who are at Loma Linda who are asking me, what are you reading? And I'm, I'm blocking the gospel. And so wouldn't you know, six months later, we've gone through so many topics out of things that I, did, I, I thought I couldn't teach, but because of Audioverse, they've helped me to understand. So when I open the Bible, I'm able to explain. And so that's kind of another way that, it, that it's helped me. Um, so in witnessing and giving uh, Bible studies, take home message, Audioverse, it's there for you. It's available. It's free. I'm sorry, it's free. Download it. Find, you know, if you hear someone who's going through a difficult moment, you know, as a church member, you know, you can tell them, hey, listen, um, I, I heard that you're going through this thing. There was a really good message. It helped me. Adrian was talking about how you can make a connection with people. It helped me. I think it could help you. Why don't you listen to this? You can use it. The take-home message I want you to, to go home with is that you can use Audioverse in your church. I move on. Care groups. Gateway Church in uh, Australia um, has taken in, in uh, the same dog and put a new leash on it. Sister White talked about how small groups can be effective in ministry and in, in reaching others, right? Um, they've just taken this concept in Gateway Church and they've, they've put it together uh, and, and essentially have grown a church out of young people with the care groups model. A model, is the, the, the care groups is just a new leash. It's small group ministry, all right? So let me tell you that um, about four, four and a half years ago, we decided among us to start a care group in Loma Linda. 
And so let me very quickly go through the brainchild of, uh, of, of care groups. So what, what exactly is it? It's a simple concept. You establish a core team with a Bible teacher or a leader. Number two, you got to have a cook. Got to have a cook. Amen. 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 Number three, and you got to have a site contributor. These are things you can do in your church. I'm telling you so that it's, so you don't leave this, this seminar going, I didn't really get anything. This is practical application uh, of, of what we're talking about. A Bible teacher, a cook, a contributor. You establish, now this is, you establish rapport with, with a worker, a co-worker, someone, uh, someone that you're with, your friends. You don't go straight to, you just say, hey, how you doing? You know, someone that you've known for a while. You already have rapport, right? Uh, during the first, during uh, the week, you establish this rapport. And you're for, at first, you're targeting maybe marginal Seventh-day Adventists or Christians. And then you can target uh, seventh, uh, or uh, non-Seventh-day Adventists. And what you're inviting them to is this. On a Friday night, between 7 to 9, and you got to be punctual, okay? you got to be punctual. Otherwise, this becomes a burden to whoever's hosting. Um, 7 to 9, uh, there's food and fellowship from 7 to 8. And you don't talk about, necess- you talk about things in life, normal things in life. How's your work? How's your family? How's your dog? I heard he was sick. 7 to, uh, seven to 8, okay? And then at, uh, at 8 o'clock, you start your study, all right? From 8 to 8.45. From 8.45 to 9 o'clock, it's just prayer. Prayer requests and praises. Praises to God, prayer requests. And then keep your group small. These are kind of just some, some basic guidelines. Keep your topics biblical, I love Sister White, I love the spirit of prophecy, but you're going to scare people away at first, right? The Gospels. You know how I learned so much about, about the Bible and being able to give a Bible study was in care groups. Our care group, praise God, has been about between, fluctuated between 5 to 12 members strong over four and a half years. And we're all uh, either dentists or physicians or, uh, or computer, uh, uh, web design, that kind of thing. And we've always been able to invite and invite in a small group setting, non-Seventh-day Adventists, young Christians that, that have come, they've been with us, they've gone, they've contacted us later and said, well, I really missed that. You know, when can we do it again? When can, when can I join? When can I join you again? I say stay off of controversial subjects, the Gospels, encounters that Jesus Christ had. All right. This is how Jesus Christ uh, reacted with this with this guy, but it was different in the way he he reacted or treated this individual. Well, let's study that out. Let's hash that out, and then you'll find that you're meeting on seven uh, on on Friday night. People start going, "You guys are Seventh Day Adventists, right?" Uh, I heard you guys this and that or the other. I'd like to learn more about that. You don't bring that into care group. Care group is the funnel. Now, that individual say, I would love to do that with you. Why don't we meet on Tuesday night? Or let me find some other time, just you and me, and we'll, we'll study it out together. Because I would like to learn more about that myself. Never say like, oh, yes, I will teach you on Tuesday night. No, I, I, I would like to study that out as well. Because, you know, I am Seventh-day Adventist, but I don't have it all. My fingers wrapped around the whole thing, all right? It's rapport. It's making people think that I'm not, that I'm standing, I, I approach my patients like this. How you doing? It, you, you come down. You, 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 we're on the same playing field. We're all learning. Care groups. 
And here's the kicker. You always avoid canceling. In four and a half years, I could count the amount of times that we have canceled care groups on one hand. Because even if the host isn't there, the key is under the mat. You never cancel. This is serious business. And God will bless it. And how does it bless it? God, God blesses consistency. I just want to say that. Uh, even through the highs and lows, there were some times where we couldn't find anyone to come to care groups that was not Seventh-day Adventist. But we still came together, and we still study the Bible. And in that, in that way, we're all developing our knowledge base of, of the Bible. My ability to sit down with anyone and open the Gospels and teach has significantly improved because of care groups. And there's something special about that 15 minutes at the very end, prayer, uh, prayer requests and praises. God has an incredible streak of answered prayers with our care group. From getting into professional school to passing boards, only thing he's still kind of hanging out there about is we're trying to find a, a wife for Adrian. And so that one's still kind of a, where, Lord, you're at about 99% success rate with this care group. God rewards, God rewards consistency. And, and I believe that, that care groups is such an important part of any church ministry. You can start this today. Don't, don't wait. Don't hope that someone else is doing it. You need to do it. Amen. Let's take a hold of this thing ourselves. Amen. That's my take-home message. You can do this in your church. It is 1137. I'm going to move very quickly through my very last portion here. Missions, okay? Missions is something that I hold very dear to my heart. And at the end of my, my little my, my blurb here on missions, I want you to understand, you don't have to be a physician. You don't have to be a dentist, okay? Um, I went here, uh, Dr. Dr. Fleck and, and uh, a whole host of other doctors and, and, and physicians and have gone to Haiti after the disaster. And I remember going to Haiti two weeks after the thing. And I was excited. I was like, yes, my, my specialty is facial trauma. I'm going to put some faces back together again in Haiti. I got over there. You know what I did for four days? I laid pipe. I laid PVC pipe. Praise God. It was more effective than anything I could have done to anyone else to, to repair their broken faces. PVC pipe to provide water to the, to the hospital so the doctors could keep working and not scrubbing into surgery with bottled water. Missions is important. And, and this is what I want to say. I, I remember I want to I buttress this point uh, as best as I can. Missions, uh, I, I grew up as, as a Seventh-day Adventist listening to Mission Spotlight. And I would always think, wow, Papua New Guinea, that just blows my mind. Like, where, even, where is that even? You know? But me as a missionary, never. Forget it. I, come on. I, 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 I can't even envision uh, uh, myself leaving this country. Our church is a global church. All right? But do our kids have the sense of globality? That's not even a word, but I invented it. Do they have a sense of, glo of the globality of our church? We're locked into our communities, and we think that it stops here. The Gospel Commission says, unto all ends of the earth, right? So, um, at a tender age, they need to understand that the gospel, the gospel Commission, their exposure and the immensity of the Gospel Commission. I did not have that sense until I went on um, several of my mission trips. Go ahead to the next slide. I want you to, to see, um, this was a trip that we do every year to Bangladesh. 
Um, and, and this was Jin's first mission trip, okay? And this is what it looked like outside of the clinic gates, okay? And Jin thought this would be kind of cute to go into the crowd and crowd surf. And go to the next slide. After a few minutes, he realized, he realized in his own way the immensity of the need. That it became painful for him. And he realized that there is so much need out there. And when I say need, I mean opportunities. Opportunities. Adrian was buttressing this, this issue of reaching the heart. That's what medical missionary uh, uh, work attempts to do, is reaching the heart through the right arm of the gospel. But Jin got a, a good sense of what it is to, um, uh, of what the, the immensity of the, uh, of the need is, the, the, the need uh, of a world to, to actually understand who Jesus Christ is. I got that idea the second I, I went on my way to Bangladesh through Hong Kong and I got out and I saw how big Hong Kong like airport is, just heads everywhere. And I think to myself, Lord, how? How are we gonna reach all these people? And our children need to understand that. You know, if, if we think as adults that, that we're, you know, it's, it's, I hear this all the time, oh, the children are the young, the youth, the youth are gonna finish the work. Really, the youth are gonna finish the work. Look, I'm not going to heaven based on my father's faith. And we as adults aren't going to heaven because our kids are out there working, and we're not. If you, got, if you have lung, air, air in your lungs, if you have vitality, there's no reason why you can't be a missionary. There's just no reason. Their exposure to the immensity is so vital. It changes them. It helps them to understand, okay, I'm a Christian, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, but there's need out there, right? And I need to go. I need to follow the Gospel Commission. It changed me. It gave me perspective. It gave me direction. And it even helped me with my career choices. I take a group out of young people who just, uh, at the school, I make sure that de uh, dental students actually have a mission experience, that they don't go through four years at Loma Linda University and they just coast through, okay, I'm helping people, I'm, I'm working so that I can actually graduate and then actually earn a paycheck. No, I want you to go to the mission field to understand how rough it is for the rest of the world when they don't know who Jesus Christ is. And so that's what I attempt to do as a, uh, as a, as a faculty member at Loma Linda University. Um, the value of, of, uh, of local missions is important. Next slide. It's important. Local missions are important. And, I, and I, while you're here, do them. But as a church member, please, as an adult with, who, who has probably young people in your church, don't overlook this, this vital essence, the, the, the necessity to get your children and, and your young people involved in international missions. Okay, um, and I'm gonna go ahead and, uh, this is Haiti, by the way, this is Philippines, and the Philippines was the most unbelievable experience I've ever had. I've been in many mission trips before then, but it wasn't until Philippines when I realized that when you combine medical missionary work and construction and preaching, and you take this threefold equation to the mission field, you know, there, there comes a point where, where you put yourself out there to reach other people, you're putting yourself in a position where God can reach you. And praise God, next slide. I actually had the opportunity to preach. Next slide. And at the end, when, when I thought people were gonna get baptized, I was the one that got baptized. Amen. And so 
you know, <laughs> I didn't need to get baptized. I probably was baptized at the age of nine, okay? I didn't have a clue what I was getting myself into. I just knew it was a warm dip in bath water at age nine, which was fine. But as an adult, I, you know, the Holy Spirit really put it on me at the end of my, uh, my evangelistic series that if you're going to be preaching this, okay. right, Amen. you need to understand that this is your life. This is you. Like, you're, you're putting it out there. And I saw God use my messages. God, uh, in times where I was exhausted from treating patients all day, come preach. And people respond to a call that I made, a pathetic call that I made. The whole church came forward. I just broke down and wept. At the end of the week, after we baptized all those that were in my, in my congregation, I said, Lord, I got to go into the waters. And so I was baptized. And, and this is the experience that I believe. Look, I was the oldest one. Everyone else who was preaching was in high school. The only reason I was there was because one kid got sick and they asked me to do it at the last second. No coincidence there. Next slide. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm going to wrap it up here. Statements I want you to go home with. In trying to save others, sometimes you put yourself in a position where God can save you. Evangelism, again, is directly proportional to revival. Activity for youth is essential for making their faith relevant today. Okay, medical missionary work or just mission work creates inroads to the soul. And Sister White said that. So what plan can you take for your church? What can you do? Pick, pick a partner, pick a ministry, share him, quiet hour. Um, uh, there's a whole slew of them if you're interested. Uh, you can find me afterwards. Pick a mission, okay? Medical, dental, construction, evangelism. Pick a date. And, and, and I say, when you go home, be very definitive about this. Go home and say, Let's, this is the date, this is what we're shooting for. Assemble your team, pick a, pick a partner to work with, and then raise funds, develop a budget. Pray. God owns all the money in the world. Oh, it costs too much money. I have to say that for the, we all know enough people. We're, we're here networking at ASI, all right? We all know enough people that have money. And either you're giving it to Obama or you're putting it in a 501c3. Okay? There is money out there. It all belongs to the Lord. Take hold of that money and put it into his work. Amen. Pray and go. The take-home message for this last thing that you can do is make your church write their own mission spotlight. Don't go home and say, oh, that was such a nice story. No. Pick Get your youth together. Get them involved. They need to capture that vision that this is a global church and this is the Great Commission and they can be instrumental, not just in reading the stories, but being the stories that God wants you to be. Thank you. All right, as we, as we uh, wrap up, before we do, I've got, I want to talk about, I want to talk about specific things that you can do. Total Church started out 
with an idea. And this idea was uh, presented to, um, <coughs> I've got wires all over the place, was presented to, uh, to me through uh, Justin McNeilis, the president of GYC, and uh, Katie Yeager, his sister-in-law, and Sean Reed. They wanted to do a seminar at GYC that was unlike anything else. What we did was we designed a program where young people could learn how to be involved in their church. We had some several, we had some ideas of what we wanted to do, but what's interesting about that is that it just, it just blew our minds when we saw the people that were interested, the young people that were interested in leadership in the church. 85% of the 6,000 people that came to GYC last year attended the seminar. And Thanks. 85% of the people that attended GYC went to the Total Church Seminar on Friday. We had 17 different tracks, and we had the, some of the world's best experts, Mark Finley, Cliff Goldstein, Jeffrey Rosario, and others, talk about how to preach, how to teach a Sabbath school lesson. Cliff taught that. How to uh, conduct a nutrition seminar. Mrs. Finley taught that. How to preach uh, was taught by Pastor Finley. And, and others. And what was interesting about that is so many young people raised their hand and asked questions and said, how can I take this to my church? If you've got a young person, don't let them just do audio or video. Get them involved. Amen. Want to talk a little bit about the internet. We are all involved uh, online and we do a bunch of things. Here are some numbers of people that are involved or that are connected every single day on the internet. Social media, we hear a lot about it. All it is is people having conversations online. Hey, I went to this seminar, I really liked it. Or I went to this dentist and I liked his work. Uh, hey, I'm looking for a mechanic, I, I want a, a mechanic. And five people say, my mechanic's the best. There's different platforms for social media. There's blogging, photo sharing, uh, microblogging, uh, YouTube, Facebook, podcasts, various ways that you can use in your church to get the message out. You can create a, a ministry where you have podcasts, where you do five minute podcasts about talking about different subjects in the church. Put them on iTunes University and let people hear about it. You can do a school on Righteousness by Faith or a series on Righteousness by Faith and put it on, on iTunes University. People will check it out. On iTunes University, you can listen to sermons from Yale University and other places. And I wish a lot more Adventist universities would put their stuff online as well. Social media tools, just to use, uh, just to name a few. Facebook. If Facebook was a country, it would be number three in the world. Over 500 million people are uh, on Facebook. In fact, that number has grown to 750 million. One in six people are in the world are on Facebook. If you want to witness to people... Now, here's the thing about witnessing, all right? Here's the thing about witnessing online. A lot of people, they'll go on, onto Facebook and they'll post LNG White quotes and they'll post biblical quotes, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But what will drive people to your church is if you record your sermon and put it on Facebook and your pastor is there and you, have, and you post it onto your profile or onto your friend's profile and they watch that sermon, they say, hey, I'd like to hear that. I'd like to attend your church. Something resonated with me. So it makes a difference. How much time is spent on Facebook daily? 1,000, the equivalent of 1,300 years, 330 years in time is spent on Facebook daily. Can you imagine how much time people spend on Facebook? Uh, Mrs. White talks about how we need to uh, attract the people who are, uh, who are influential. Here, the world has 
has finally decided to, to put everyone together who's influential and create a social network just for them, and that's called LinkedIn. Everyone on link, most, the average person on LinkedIn earns over $100,000 and they run companies. If you want to reach out to them, if you want to connect to them, they're surprisingly uh, able to talk to you on LinkedIn. If you call their office, you have to go through so many gatekeepers to talk to the vice president of the company, but contact them on LinkedIn, you'll get a reply in five minutes. But please don't spam them. Wiki, Wikipedia, it's as accurate as uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica and there's 1,712 posts per hour. Grassroots, grassroots communication on Twitter. Twitter has taken down nations, has taken down despots all over the world. People use Twitter to communicate and uh, that's another tool that you can use to get the word out of how Jesus has changed you. If you talk about how a program made a difference in your life, you can talk about that on Twitter. Four billion pictures on Flickr. It's not a fad, it's a fundamental shift in the way we communicate. And if your church is not involved in this type of thing, get a young person and they'll tell you all about it. All right, we're going to run through, in the last 10 minutes, we're going to run through certain things that we would like to do with Total Church. What we would like to do is this. And this is the risk, all right? But I'm going to, I'm going to share it with you. What we would like to do is we want to take North America and what we would like to do is take a certain amount of churches. Because if you do it in one church, people say, oh, that church was special. Right? Or if you do it in one church, no one's going to hear about it. But what we would like to do is take a group of churches in a certain conference or several conferences, and we would like to do certain things with that group, see where they were at a baseline, and then see where they are later, create a case study, present it to the leadership, and say, this is our model. We think it works. All right? We've done that with the conference model, and we've done that with the Sabbath school with Avon Hope, and now we would like to do it at the local church level. And we would like to come to your church and, and do this if, if, uh, if possible. The way you, you can get us to come is you talk to your church pastor, they can contact me, um, and we can, we can work something out, and then later we'll talk with the conference presidents and, and union leaders and whatever else to create that test model in your conference. If you would like us to do that, we'd love to come. Several things as we go through. In your church, failure is, not, uh, failure is a lot of times not an option, but in reality, failure should be an option. The person who failed the most in our church was James White. If you go and, and you look at on uh, the GC archives and you look at all the different magazines he started that are not functioning today. He failed over 60 times but he created two magazines that exist today. Signs of the Times and the Adventist Review. The man succeeded. Micromissions. This is what Carlos was talking about and this is what I'm going to share with you what we can do in this test model. A lot, of, a lot of members don't have a lot of money because of the economy and whatever else but what we would like to do is we would like to change the world with 32 cents per day. And what that means is each member in the church, the average member of the church, the average number of a church is about 200 people. So let's just run the math, okay? What we're asking for is $10 per member per month. So that's $120 for the whole year. Do you think you could afford that? Okay, this is what we could do for your church. We would take your church and we would aggregate that money, all right, which would be about $2,400 per month and uh, or two, $2,000 per month and, and uh, aggregate it over the, over the whole year. Get 12 other churches around it in your conference that we're doing, 11 other churches that we're doing um, this test model because we have to do it with groups of churches, not just one. And then we'll show you what we can do with that. Ten person, $10 per person per month. That would be, as you can see over here, $24,000 a year. And now we take that 24,000 and we multiply it by the 12 churches, we get 288,000. We take that money and we take it and we would like to spend it in one country. We'll, we'll pick a country and we'll take that money 
and we'll spend that money. But we're not taking your money and then spending it. What we're doing is we're taking that money and we're taking you as well. All right? We're taking you as well. 288,000 times 18, that's the, the exchange rate for $1 to Honduras dollars. And then 288,000 times 84.37, that's in Pakistan. If you'd like to come to Pakistan and make a difference there, my dad's a conference president there, we can do it. This is how much we would be able to spend in Honduras. In their money, $5,184,000 with your church. All right? Or in Pakistan, if you want to be super rich, $24,298,560. right? What can we do in these countries? What we would like to do is, we would like to do something that the United States government does when they go, but for a different reason. We're, we belong in, the God, in God's army, right? And what the United States government does is, when it goes to a certain country that it wants to take over, the very first thing is that it, it sends the Green Berets. They go in, they check out, they make alliances, whatever. The next thing that they do is they send in Marines. And the Marines go in and they, they, they create the area. The rangers come in, they build the tent cities, and they build the toilets, and whatever else, and then the army comes and occupies. What we're trying to do with this money is we're trying to set the stage so that we can train the local people, send some kids to, to uh, seminaries, local seminaries, send them to medical school, send them to uh, dental school, or whatever it is. At the same time, we would like to build churches that are units, where you have a church that functions as a school for the adults in the, at night and for kids during the day. We'd also like to have a clinic where, where where our doctors from Lonely University can come and serve, or medical students can come and serve. And we would also like uh, the local members that we're investing in to work with us as well. What we don't need is somebody going from here and building churches there, per se. They can build churches as well. But what we need is for you to help them do that work with them. And not only that, as you present the gospel, as you share, you'll gain confidence that will allow you to do it over here, just as Carlos was mentioning earlier. All right, the Nano MDiv, Nano MBA, this is a simple idea. What it is, is it's based in, do you remember, if you look in history, people that were physicians in the 17th century, they did all the work. But then they decided to, to let other people do some of the work, and so they trained nurses, right? Now what nurses do today is what doctors used to do probably a century ago. And doctors are freed up to do other things, like build faces, like what Carlos does, all right? So, can you imagine what would happen if your elder was just as trained as your minister? And your minister was then freed up to, to plant churches with some of you Amen. in the area. Every church that we work with, we want to be able to plant churches. All right? Same thing with the MBA program. Uh, the Nano MDA, 10-day ten, ten intensive, we want to train your members so they can manage their finances better. We believe that if you manage the 90% that God has given you, the 10% that you give back to the church will be greater. All right, moving on. These are the, the type of leaders that we will bring to your church and that we want to work with. Invest in young people, please. Give the chance to young people to lead, and you'll see a difference. Now, this is something for the North American Division. I don't know if any leadership is here, but the North American Division, <clears throat> what we would like to do is we would like to create NAD reserves, which is young people if, uh, if the North American Division would be so kind as to give us $1 million, what we would like to do with that is divide that up into $12,000, so that would be 83 young people that would write an essay and say why they want to plant churches in the North American Division. And for every year that they serve planting churches, they get one year free in tuition at an Adventist University. All right? That's what we would like to do. 
And so we've, we've, uh, we're, we're trying to set that up and uh, get that going. But what we believe is that the more churches we create, the more access we have to the population. And as a result as well, the greater tithe flow back to the church as well. All right. Final, final concept is the idea of a leadership summit. What we would like to do is, how many of you have gone to TED.com and watched a video? All right. This is a, this is a leadership summit for the world where people like Bill Clinton, Al Gore, and uh, Bill Gates and others come, and young entrepreneurs come as well, and they present ideas and challenges that are going on in the world, and there are people in the room that have solutions to those problems. What happened in Bangladesh was, uh, what, what started the stuff that we, we began in Bangladesh was that there was a missionary that came from Bangladesh to Avonhope, and he requested half an hour in the, on a Sabbath afternoon to talk to young students about what he's doing in Bangladesh. And he described the immense possibilities and the challenges that he, as the lone dentist in, in Bangladesh, the lone Adventist dentist, was doing. And there were people in the audience like Carlos and Paul Yu and others who were residents and dentists who said, hey, we can do that. Why don't we get a mission together and let's go do that? And that's, that's how that came together. We don't have a corner on good ideas, but what we would like is a leadership summit where thought leaders in our movement get together and they, they talk about ideas. And for example, uh, a division president in Africa could come and talk about the challenges of, of sharing the gospel with people who are dying with AIDS. And people in the room hopefully could have some solutions to that. What we're working for is that this is our moment in history. This is our time. And we're, we're all coming to this Mount Carmel experience. We're all heading that way, where the world needs to decide if they're going to serve God, if they're going to serve someone else. And the way that they're going to make that, that decision is when they see God working through us. Just like the fire came down and it consumed the sacrifice, God is asking us to be living sacrifices. He's asking us to be imbued by the power of the Holy Spirit, changed into His image, and changing other people directing them to Jesus Christ. Your church will grow and it will become different only if you open yourself to change and you allow your members to share whether social media, mission trips, or whatever it is, if you ask God to help you, He will. May God bless you as you, uh, as you work uh, for Him and you re realize the centrality, the, the central purpose of the local church and its mission in fulfilling the gospel. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for all that you have given us at this conference. But Father, more than that, we, we thank you for the plan of salvation that you instituted billions of years before we were created. And Father, you have condescended so much as to allow us to be part of that plan of salvation. And as we work as your appointed agency in our local churches, Lord, help us to make a difference through medical evangelism, through uh, missions, through preaching, through teaching of the word. Lord, help us to live that word in our life. Father, there are many challenges in our church, but we know that you will succeed. And whether you succeed with this church in our lifetime or in someone else's, Lord, it is entirely up to us. And we ask that you help us succeed in our lifetime so that we can see Jesus come. May his, may his coming be hastened and may it be soon. And to that end we pray. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.